0: Hi, everyone. This is Faye from FaceWorld World Media. And I am so, so thrilled to be introducing one of my favorite authors in the past 10 years, Neil Yel to Face World. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm just so thrilled. I can't believe you're here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here.
0: Thank you. So let me briefly introduce you. And we're just going to dive into today's questions and themes around how to form habits, control your attention, and choose your life. So for those of you who don't know, I have subscribed to Nier's newsletter for the past decade, basically. And I keep saying, keep referring to you as near and far, because, you know, I've been introducing you that way. It's just so memorable. And you are <laughs> You know, one of the few people I follow consistently for the past 10 years, never unsubscribed and think about the Aww. other people I do. Yeah, I do follow regularly. I like Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, of course, and just a handful of other people. And it really shocked me last night. I was like, I have to keep going back to the older newsletter just to get the exact date that I subscribed. I'm pretty sure it's got to be at least 10 years at this point um that's
1: that's about when I started yeah that's about right
0: (laughs) yeah wow we gotta go and I have no idea I mean I do I think my partner uh Adam Leffert first introduced your work and I was just so fascinated by it you're you know very science-backed yet your personality is also very much integrated in your content there's a level of intimacy that I feel like I am, you know, learning something, yet learning something from a friend, and it's very approachable. I quote you very often, and, you know, I, I keep introducing your work and even creating quote cards and referencing your work, and it just, it's been wonderful, and thank you for two unbelievable books, uh, two books on, you know, called Hooked and Indistractable. For people who are watching right now, please, please go check it out. Hooked is from 2014 and Indistractable from uh, 2019, and there's so many worksheets, newsletter, and just information and tools on your website. So that's really my sincere introduction with I got to the... say,
1: I got to start every morning like this. I need to have a cup of coffee and a conversation with Faye because this is like the best way to start a day. <laughs> Thank what, you. Like, why make I this mean, a regular I... thing?
0: <laughs> Let's do it. And by the way, you said you're in morning time. I realize you're in Asia somewhere on the other side yes, of the world Yes, I'm in right
1: Singapore. Now. So it is 8.30 uh, a.m. over here.
0: Wow, that's super early. Where I, are you based? I am based, uh, based in Boston. I've been here for nearly 20 years. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Boston, yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah, so been, very cool. Yeah, we've been in Singapore for about three now, and uh, we really love it out here. It's it's a it's a beautiful country.
0: Wow. That I didn't know. You may have written about it, and I have clients in Singapore. Uh, what what brought oh, yeah. you to Singapore? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we, we just really like it out here. We we came initially for a short period of time and then we fell in love. Uh, we really like, we used to live in, in Midtown, New York and uh, we came out here mm. and uh, my daughter really took to it and I love it. And um, yeah, we're just, so have you ever visited? It's it's a really great little place.
0: I haven't, but my mom used to, my mom's an artist who painted the silk panel two, two by four oh, meters. Wow. She, Yeah, so she spent a long time in Singapore and really established her career earlier on. Mm -hmm. We're originally from Beijing. So um, Mm -hmm. I remember mom being away, traveling in Singapore, but I personally have never been. And right now, one of my loveliest clients is Elkhart Global. They're also based in Singapore. So I have a call with Singapore every Tuesday for the past year.
1: Oh, so. wow. Well, well tell, tell them I'm happy. You know, any friend of yours is a friend of mine. So uh, always happy to meet good people. It's, it's a, it, what I really love about Singapore is that it reminds mm-hmm. me of um, like New York mixed with San Francisco, but in Asia. Uh, It's a very, it's very, very Asian. It's kind of the the tech hub of Asia. Um, So it's got that like Silicon Valley vibe of a lot of optimism, a lot of, um, you know, everybody knows this region is getting better and better. People are getting wealthier. People are uh, getting out of poverty like they've never had before. Uh, Mm. And it's a massive population, right? Southeast Asia. If I think it's, I think I read somewhere, I'm not getting this exactly right, but something to the effect of if you drew, uh, a, a circle around Singapore of, I think it's 2000 miles around Singapore, 50% of the world's population lives within that circle. So it's, it's 50% of the entire world lives inside that circle. Wow. <laughs> and, and this part of the world is, um, you know, in many ways leapfrogging the technologies that the West has, uh, uh, has created because they're, they're going uh, not, you know, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. They're going from like 2G to 5G, <laughs> like right away. And they're all on mobile phones. And so it's a really exciting uh, economic landscape. A lot of growth, a lot of optimism, and then mm-hmm. Singapore in particular is kind of this melting pot of so many different cultures. Um, yesterday there was this amazing uh, Indian Hindu festival uh, called Thaipusam, which I'd never seen before, which was just blew my mind. Have you ever seen it, by the way? Have you ever, you ever heard of Thaipusam?
0: Uh, there, I have a lot of Indian friends. Which one is this exactly? I
1: probably haven't so- seen it. Yeah. I I also have a lot of Indian friends in America, but I never heard of this holiday, <laughs> right? I heard of Diwali, never heard of, of Thayapusam. Mm-hmm. So Thayapusam uh, is this holiday where it's, it's a, a ritual of Thanksgiving, but it's for things yeah. that you already received, okay? So it's not like you're asking for stuff, it's for thanking for things that you already received. And part of what's most emblematic about this holiday is that people will uh, uh, pierce themselves in this mm-hmm. ritual of purification. So they pierce their tongues, they pierce their cheeks. They carry these uh, incredible, um, I don't even know how you describe it. They're called uh, kavadis. And they are these huge structures that sometimes can weigh 100 or 150 pounds. Mm-hmm. And there's like these spears all over their bodies as they're carrying it. It is fascinating. And they, they, they say they feel no pain and um, <laughs> they, they don't bleed. Right. Even though you can Mm -hmm. see it's clearly poking through their skin, they don't bleed. Uh, It's just it's fast. So that's the kind of experiences that you get in in Southeast Asia that I'm really happy that I get to be exposed to, but also that my daughter gets to see. Uh, So, yeah, highly recommend coming to Singapore to everyone listening. Sorry to get off topic.
0: (laughs) No, please do. I mean, you I mean, this is the unexpected topics are what I enjoy the most. And your daughter must be super young, I assume.
1: Uh, Not that young anymore. (laughs) Fourteen.
0: She's 14. my goodness. Yeah, wow, yeah, and she so... loves it. That was was it a difficult transition for her? because from my God, my friend Ace is hopping on because I was just gonna about, about to text Ace about the holiday. So Ace, please let us know what you think about the holiday. Um, Ace is in Lexington, Massachusetts. also I'm sure a fan mm. of your work. Um, but I was just thinking your your daughter arrived in Singapore at the age of eleven, then to 14. wasn't it like a big transition for her? Was it difficult for her?
1: So she did miss a few of her friends in New York for sure, uh, but we homeschool, so we've homeschooled since she was in first grade. Uh, so it was very easy to kind of pick up and and move. And I work from home. My wife also works from home, uh, so it was pretty pretty easy to to come out here. And now that she's here, she really loves it because we homeschool. Uh, she really loves the freedom that she has to kind of go wherever she wants and um, you know see a lot of friends. And yeah, so she's she's really taken to it. So, so one of the things that's amazing about Singapore is that it's incredibly safe. Uh, like there, there's mm-hmm. virtually no crime here, at least not any kind of violent crime. Uh, you know, they have very strict laws around drugs. They have the death penalty for drug possession. Uh, mm-hmm. there's no guns, there's no gangs. There's, there's, it's just a very, very safe place. And so it's great that she can kind of go wherever she wants and, um, you know, uh, have a lot of freedom.
0: Wow, that's just so different compared to yeah. New York City. And, you know, other than reading, because I uh, heard your episode with Tammy Loeb, I realized that you were not in New York anymore. And it just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, occurred to me. And to think that transition, because part of me is still thinking, like, I'm reading your newsletter, I feel like you're just two, 300 miles away from me. And, <laughs> you know, so, well, this is such a big difference. And homeschool is another. Uh, topic. I feel like it gives you such flexibility because education as in general, I'm just hearing a lot of, uh, you know, sort of painful truth from parents of feeling very dissatisfied by the Mm. US or Asian educational system. So I never knew any of this about you. So was it? Mm. What is it like to be homeschooling your your teenage daughter?
1: It's, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Now I will say we only have one daughter, uh, only one child. So, uh, it would be much more difficult if we had multiple, and I don't think homeschooling is for everyone. Right. I think we have the luxury of being able to work from home to dedicate the time towards homeschooling. Um, but if it is an option, um, that you're able to consider, then I I highly recommend it. I mean, I, I, you know, we we always let her choose. So mm. education is kind of one of these funny uh, products, if you will, where the customer, the user of the product, never gets asked whether they actually like the product, right? <laughs> Children <laughs> are never asked, "What do you think about your education?" or, or "Do you do you like this?" Uh, I certainly mm. never was growing up, and so we we actually survey her. Like we literally have every six months, we have my wife uh, and I are both techies, so we. Have this, uh, this this Google uh, survey that she has to fill in every six months about how it's going. Right? How do you like homeschool? Uh, because it's for her. Right? It's her education. It's not ours. We already got our degrees, um, so we want to make sure that 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 she enjoys. It. And of course, for us, it would be much easier if we just sent her to uh, a, a, a traditional school. That'd be way easier. Take a lot less time. But we mm-hmm. wanted her to kind of feel ownership in that. Uh, the the biggest motivation for us to homeschool was that, you know, as as um, technology continues to advance so quickly uh mm-hmm. knowledge retrieval is less important than knowledge acquisition and synthesis into wisdom so it's kind of pointless today to you know especially now recently over the past few months with uh, gpt you know to to memorize how to do a particular equation it's it's useful you should know how it works but to spend the amount of time that that i felt like i spent doing it was was kind of silly Uh, As opposed Mm -hmm. to time being able to acquire the skill of acquiring skill, right? One of my favorite words in the English language is autodidact, someone who teaches themselves. And that's really, I think, more than the skills you learn in school. What's most important, I think, for the next generation, for the kind of jobs of the future, will be to be an autodidact. Because every few years, we're going to have to retool ourselves. We're going to have to learn new skills. We're going to have to learn new technologies, new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And so the most important thing I wanted to give my daughter was the ability to be an autodidact, to teach herself. Um, And so it wasn't about one specific topic. It's about that, that continual ability.
0: And hmm, your daughter is very lucky. If, um, you know, if I, you know, have a dad kind of with your intellect and your, your way of communicating, I think I will be very convinced and think homeschool, you know, <laughs> will be a really good idea. And you'll be so much difficult to argue with because... You know given the information and then how much you really put out to the world i mean it's such a luxury to have you and your wife to be the the teachers at home so i have to ask you about chat since you brought it up and it's been this yeah. hot topic i'm sure your daughter everybody has access to it and then the funny things you write about indistractable and the opposite of that is traction which i find so mm. fascinating so what's your take on chat distraction traction both how to use it correctly
1: yeah Okay, so a lot of questions folded into one. Let me see how I can break it down. So I, I, in terms of, of uh, the, the, the impact of uh, GPT, and I don't actually like to call it artificial intelligence because I, I, that's, that's kind of a loaded term. It, it's it's, it's mm-hmm. a, a, a large language model. That's what it is. It's an LLM. Um, and in that respect, it's incredible. I mean, it is pretty close to magic uh, when you play with it. And I think it's uh, it's nothing to be afraid of. I think it's going to change the world for the good, not only for the good, as Sophocles said, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. Uh, Or as Paul Virilio said, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck. So of course, any product that is used by a sufficiently large number of people is going to have downsides. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a a foolish optimist that thinks everything about technology is always great. No, of course not. Every uh, technology, everything that, that has a massive impact will have goods and bads. So we need to be aware of that. But I think, like the vast majority of technology, the, the good is going to far outweigh the bads when it comes to ChatGPT. Uh, and there, it's interesting that I think I think ChatGPT will be the new Web three, or, or or not necessarily just ChatGPT, but these large language models um, will be the next phase of of the net. We thought you know Web three would be crypto. I, I don't think it's going to have the, the kind of impa- impact that we uh, that many people thought. But I think that that the use of these large language models this actually does have the ability to fundamentally not only change the interface of how we interact with technology, but also has the ability to yield profound uh, productivity improvements, right? Because a lot of the the things that we are not good at as human beings – uh, these, these LLMs can do for us, right? When it comes to mm-hmm. gathering facts, writing an outline, um, answering quick questions, uh, combing research, right? Think about the mm-hmm. amount of time uh, personally mm-hmm. that I spend writing these books. I mean, if you look at the back of each of these books, there are 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. And for every citation, there's probably 20, 30 studies that I read that I didn't cite, that I didn't think were quality enough or didn't weren't uh, relevant to what I was writing about. So to have a technology that can comb through the latest research uh, is, is a superpower. That would be amazing. Now, what I think these, these LLMs cannot do and won't for the foreseeable future, by their very nature, they will not be able to surprise you. What do I mean by that? That once you are caught up in what's known about a field, okay, once you know mm-hmm. the lay of the land. That's it. Like there's not much more than an LLM can do because it's not generating new information. It's regurgitating what is already out there on the web. And that's wonderful, right? That's the kind of evolution that mm-hmm. we saw from someone, you know, doing math in their head to going to a calculator, right? There's a skill mm-hmm. we lost for sure. I can't do the kind of mental math that my father could do or that his father could do because they, we did, I didn't have to. <laughs> right. I used a calculator. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that same respect, like going out there and finding the information that will be less and less um. Uh, useful because it's going to be commoditized. That's the kind of stuff that an LLM can do really, really well. But once, if you if you've used ChatGPT, once you get the answer to your question, it's it's only what has already been said, right? But. You know, as an author, if I wrote stuff that had already been said before, nobody would buy my books, right? I wouldn't find my books useful if it's already just regurgitating what other people said. And by the way, we've all read these kind of books; they're terrible, right? especially in like the business mm-hmm. domain. Books, he okay, I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The marshmallow study. Okay, again with the marshmallow study. Like how many times have we ever read? like so <laughs> many. So times. true. Uh, whatever study it is like, it just gets regurgitated again and again. And for that, GPT is really, really good. But mm-hmm. the key element of what makes entertainment entertaining is surprise right this is what i talked Mm -hmm. about in hooked when it comes to variable rewards variable rewards unpredictability mystery uncertainty that is what keeps us engaged and that is something to date that these llms uh cannot do now maybe in the future they'll figure out how to do that and they probably will right but it's going to be a much more hackneyed approach right you're gonna to to figure out what uh what resonates with the human mind, uh, taking into account what's already been said and cultural references to, uh, elaborate on what's already been said in a novel, interesting, surprising way. That's pretty tough. I've never seen any line of research, uh, in AI that, that gets there now. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe it can happen someday, but I don't think there's a real risk of that, uh, in the, in the short term. So if I were to advise my daughter or anyone like figuring out, you know, what's, what's going to, become a commodity and what become rare and valuable uh Mm -hmm. a commodity will be the 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 you know the listicles five reasons Mm -hmm. why you should do this and that that's commodity right because that's just regurgitating what's already been written and 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 done what will be increasingly valuable is what humans do really well which is synthesis right which is surprise which is uh these using these variable rewards
0: hmm wow there's just so much to unpack there. And honestly, last night, I was thinking I got to use chat GBT to restudy near just because uh, for me, what was difficult about preparing for this because I feel like I know you so well. And to me, it was never really about you launch the book, I read a book, I interview and it's done. It's more like a process for me to follow you Your i feel like just like you said you teach people ways of thinking so that i can be more independent on my own and i asked chat gbt to summarize your both of your books and um i said okay give me the best podcast episodes uh that your has been interviewed on and it was just like you said it is stopped at 2021 and then I have to go mm. back and try to figure out like your other appearances. So it it was really interesting, it was very quickly reaching its limitation and, and putting mm. giving giving me some ideas, which I'm gonna be, you know, proposing as questions later on. But at the same time, I feel like I'm always in that position to to be forced to have to think on my own so that we can produce truly unique and valuable content, whether it's podcasts, videos, or otherwise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I'm so interested. I haven't actually typed that into GPT myself. I'm so curious what it told you, (laughs) if it did a good job or not. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. You know, one of the things, speaking of which, uh, one of the questions I thought was really intriguing is, please ask Nier, like, what are some of the the concepts or ideas you've written that have changed or shifted or evolved since uh, Mm. the books have been published?
1: yeah uh let's see so i try and write about uh perennial topics so so things that will come up again and again in people's lives so when it came to hooked so just for a recap for folks who 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 aren't familiar with my books hooked was about how to build habit forming products it's how we can use the secrets of silicon valley if you think about um, facebook and instagram and whatsapp and slack and snapchat how you can use those tactics the deeper psychology of how products are designed to be engaging to build healthy habits, right? So I didn't write it for the tech giants. They already knew these techniques long before I wrote my book. My book was published in 2014, right? Facebook and Google, these guys were, were, were founded back in 2006 or so even earlier. Um, so so I didn't, I didn't invent these techniques. I wish I did, I didn't. I researched them so that we could democratize them so that we could build apps to help us exercise more like Fitbot is a case study in the book. It's a, an amazing app that I've used over the past several years since I wrote the book and discovered and, and found this app, uh, which in, it turns out they actually used the hook model to, to, uh, uh, to build the app uh, before my book was even published. I blogged for quite a while. And uh, I'm in the best shape of my life, actually, because of this app, FitBot, which I use several times a week every time I'm in the gym. Uh, apps like Duolingo, right, that help get people hooked to learning a new language. Uh, Health care apps that get people to remember to use a, a a medical device or take their medication um in every conceivable sas products right how many products do we use in the enterprise that are awful right <laughs> that we feel like we have to use that we don't want to use so that's really what hooked is about how can we build the kind of products and services that people use because they want to they come to the product because of a habit not because you know the boss tells them to that's that's what hooked is all about and it's been great it's it's been amazing to see the the kind of impact the book has had over this past several years in pretty much every conceivable industry The second book, Indistractable, I wrote five years later because I found that there was a a need in my own life to understand distraction, that many of the products we use, many of them tech products, but not exclusively, are so well-designed that sometimes we overindulge. And then we look back and we say, oh, I kind of regretted how I spent my time. So for me, it came out of a very personal moment. So this was when my daughter was much younger. Uh, We had this perfect afternoon plan, just some quality daddy-daughter time. And i remember we had this activity book of different things that dads and daughters could do together and one of the activities in the book was to ask each other if you could have any superpower what superpower would you want and i remember that question verbatim but i can't tell you what my daughter said because in that moment for whatever reason i thought it was a good time to just check my phone for a quick second and by the time i looked up for my device she was gone because i was sending a very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she went to play with some toy outside. So that's kind of the background on, on why I wrote these two books. Uh, Indistractable and Hooked were both about my own problem, right? When I didn't see a book on how to build habit-forming products, I, I, I wanted to write it myself. If When I didn't see a book on how to master distraction, I wanted to write it myself. All the other books on this topic say, oh, stop using social media. Stop checking email, right? Like, thanks, stupid. Like, I'm going to get fired. That's not, that's not helpful. <laughs> so I really wanted a book that was Practical, but science based. And what I discovered, especially with indistractible, is that the, the, the solution wasn't what I expected, right? I, 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 want, I, I was hoping it was easy, easy, as well, just stop using our phones. But when I tried mm. those techniques, they didn't work, right? I still got distracted. I would, I would put away my phone and say, oh, but oh, there's this book on my shelf that I need to check out, or let me just clean up my desk, or let me just take out the trash real quick. And I kept finding distraction in one thing or another. And so I knew the mm. cause had to be deeper. Uh, and of course, it turns out it is much deeper, right? It's a problem that, that Plato and Socrates struggled with 2,500 years ago. So it can't be caused because of our tech devices. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you ask me what's changed um, in, in the methodology, not much. There isn't, there, human psychology hasn't changed enough for the methodologies that I described in my two books to change. I think what's changed is maybe, you know, public awareness. When I wrote Hooked, I had to convince people that these the, the Silicon Valley uh, companies at the time that they didn't just get lucky. Like there was a real debate. I had to convince people, no, no, no. These companies understand what makes you tick and what makes you click better than you understand yourself. I had to convince people of this. Today, that's not mm-hmm. the case, right? People know these companies are built to change your behavior. Uh, so I think the, the pendulum has kind of swung from uh, disbelief that these companies use these this psychology of consumer engagement to now everybody believes it. And I think now the pendulum is swinging, in fact, too far the other way. That now the 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 you know now that there's been films like the social dilemma and uh, mm-hmm. every day the New York Times and uh, traditional media bash technology companies for getting us addicted and hijacking our brains. Now the pendulum's f- swung too far because it's a it's people who don't really understand how difficult it is to change consumer behavior. They're the ones that think oh we can put you know the, the screens in front of people and we're going to make them mindless robots to do whatever we want. No, if you've built product. You know it's really hard to change consumer behavior if it was so easy to get people addicted to whatever we want. Well, we'd all be using you know, Strava every day in perfect shape and perfect health, and we'd know 100 languages. But no, it's really hard to change consumer behavior. So what I want to, to share with the world is a realistic uh, portrayal. I think one thing we really miss in the media these days is nuance, that everything has to be black or white, good versus evil. You know, the, the, There's the good guys and the villains, and that's not reality. That reality is gray. But of course the the way traditional media likes to tell stories is, you know, and the way the human brain likes to comprehend stories is always black and white. It's always good and bad, but of course it's, there's a lot of nuance out there. So, so that's, that's real wisdom is to be able to hold two contradictory ideas at the same time, which is why many times people say, Hey, how come you wrote hooked? And then you wrote indistractable, like, aren't these conflicting? No, not at all. In fact, because I really believe you can have your cake and eat it too. We can build the kind of products that create healthy habits in users' lives. And we can stop using the products that don't serve us. But these are different products, right? We mm-hmm. want to use more of the fitness apps, more of the learning apps, more of the apps that help us connect with loved ones and bring us closer together, the amazing things mm-hmm. that technology does by and large. But the few products and services that, that, that waste our time, that make us regret uh, how we, we spent our time and attention, that's the kind of stuff that I would call a distraction that we want to do away with.
0: For sure. And somebody absolutely did ask me why you wrote those two books. And I thought it was really interesting, really smart. Um, With that said, I mean, there's one concept I thought was really interesting. I read it uh, in multiple places, which is what you call the opposite of distraction is traction. And I realized I Mm -hmm. shouldn't assume everybody just knows exactly what it means. So if you could break it down and helping people understand better, how to be more productive and how to actually make progress and traction, that'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the place I like to start my research is with words, right? I'm kind of a word nerd. I like to know what these words really mean, uh, because I think there's a lot of language that we just kind of toss around without really understanding what the terms mean. So distraction. Okay, what is distraction, really? And so if you look at the etymology of the word, you find that the source of the word is this Latin root trahare, which means to pull. And if you ask people, what's the antonym of distraction? What's the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you, well, the opposite of distraction is focus, right? Don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused. But that's not exactly right. That in fact, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction, okay? Both words come from that same common root, trahare, meaning to pull. And you'll notice that both traction and distraction end in the same six letters. A-C-T-I-O-N spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves take. So traction by definition is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction Distraction, distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, away from your values, away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of distraction. Now, this isn't just semantics. This is really practical because I would argue that any action, okay, anything you want to do is fine, right? We need to stop moralizing and medicalizing and telling people, oh, you on social media, you playing video games, that's wrong, that's bad. But watching mindless television, or sports on TV, that's somehow okay. Why? Anything you want to do with your time and attention is fine as long as you're doing it according to your values and your schedule, not some media companies. Okay. So by planning for what it is you want to do in advance, you are turning distraction into traction. Okay. Conversely, we find that the worst forms of distraction are not what people think. When people think of distraction they think television they think social media they think all kinds of things that might distract them you know video games turns out the worst form of distraction is the kind of distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the easy and the urgent work that you have to do that doesn't actually align with what you said you were going to do let me give you a perfect example to make it concrete so for years i would get into work and i'd say okay I'm, I have that big project I need to work on right now. The thing that's number one on my to-do list, by the way, we can talk about why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your productivity. We can get back to that later, but I would say, okay, I have to work on that big project. That's what I have to do this morning. Nothing's going to get in my way. Here I go. I'm going to get started right now, but first let me check some email, right? Mm -hmm. Let me Mm -hmm. uh, scroll that Slack channel real quick. Let me just do a couple of things on my to-do list. Some of the easier tasks just to get started, right? Just to get some momentum, right? Those are work-related tasks, right? It's Okay. Wrong. That that is essentially the worst form of distraction because you don't even realize you're distracted. Mm-hmm. We rationalize it saying, well, I got to check email at some point. That's okay, right? I got to scroll this Slack channel. Let me just do this a few qu- quick things. And then you don't mm-hmm. realize that 20, 30, 40 minutes later, you didn't do the thing you said you were going to do. You didn't work on that big project. So just because something is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. That's the most dangerous kind of distraction because you don't even realize you're off track.
0: Oh, I, I'm nodding uh, uncontrollably, even for people who are listening to this later on, because I, you just pinpointed that the, the biggest issue I have is I feel like all these things are work related. I need to pay this freelancer. I need to reply to that client's email. And I'm so distracted to resume to the bigger projects that really requires my attention and care.
1: Oh. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's about intent. All right. this This is what's so important. So now, okay, so you've got Traction, you've got distraction. Those are two parts of the indistractable model. So if, if you can't see me right now because you're listening to this later, so I'm, I'm pointing my thumbs in, in right and left direction. So traction to the right, distraction to the left. Now you have your triggers. Okay, your triggers are your external triggers. This is what we tend to blame for distraction. All the pings, the dings, the rings, everything in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. Turns out, even though that's what we tend to blame, external triggers only account for 10% of our distractions. 10% come from these pings, dings, and rings in our outside environment, our phone, our, our you know all these uh, the notifications, all these things in our outside environment, only 10%. So what's the other 90%? The other 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's not because of what's happening outside of us, but rather 90% of our distractions begin from within. These are called internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape okay this was this is really what blew my mind is the science around why we get distracted in the first place 90% of the time that you go off track you are going off track to escape an uncomfortable feeling boredom loneliness fatigue uncertainty anxiety stress this is the source of our distractions but if we keep blaming the proximal causes if we keep blaming our computers our phones uh facebook twitter the media our kids our bosses if we keep blaming this stuff outside of ourselves we never get to the root cause of the problem which is that time management is pain management i'll say that again Mm -hmm. time management is pain management if you don't understand motion that you are looking to escape I don't care if it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook. You are always going to look for distraction using one thing or another if you don't understand what you're trying to escape from. So the first step to becoming indistractable is mastering those internal triggers or they will become your master.
0: Uh, Love it. Internal triggers. And I have been following your articles, newsletters and all that. And and first of all, I was so surprised when you mentioned that you were obese growing up as a child. I could Mm. since I didn't meet you as a child, I really like I was so surprised to hear that and And then the way that you broke it down and using myself as an example, also, I realize I'm Mm -hmm. constantly working uh, and I do enjoy it. I'm not lying about it. But I also think there are certain internal triggers that may contribute to that as not feeling enough, uh, the need to feel of contribution. Uh, I don't know what it is to pinpoint, but it really helped me kind of analyze and really look, look inwardly for the first time.
1: Yeah, and, and and I want to emphasize here that um, we don't want to moralize these these behaviors mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's very dangerous I think what we have in society today that um, w- w- there's some kind of of there's a lot of mixed messaging around how people should spend their lives and for some reason we feel it's appropriate to tell people why doing some things are morally superior to others and mm-hmm. I don't get it I, I think it's really destructive because it, 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 uh, it makes us perpetuate someone else's ideal. So my point is not to tell people they should eat right or exercise more or work less or not use social media. Ridiculous. Like you, you don't need people to tell you that. We already know what we want to do in our lives. The problem is we don't live according to our values. So if mm-hmm. your values, Faye, are to mm-hmm. spend your time working, Okay, if that's what you want to do with your time and attention and limited time on earth, do it, right? And in fact, (laughs) we know if you look at great artists, great athletes, leaders in business, they work like crazy, right? They are working their butts off. And it's not up to me or anyone else to tell them not to do that. That's how they get to greatness. And by the way, many of those people, if you look at their stories, (laughs) an uncanny number of these people who are top of the game, they're running from something they're running from mm-hmm. something. It's uh, proving to their father that they're good enough. It's uh, that they were, you know, in my case, that I was, I was clinically obese as a kid. I'm sure there's some kind of insecurity there that drives me to prove myself capable. Uh, there, there's, there's many times there are these internal triggers. So it turns out that high performers, they still feel the internal triggers. In many cases, they feel those internal triggers more than other people. But here's the difference. People, these high performers, Unlike low performers who try and escape that discomfort, right? They escape it with booze. They escape it with television. They escape it with Facebook towards distraction. High performers use those internal triggers like rocket fuel to propel them towards their goals, to propel them towards the life they want. So there's nothing wrong with feeling bad. I think we're told in our society that pain is bad. Pain is not bad. Pain is a a signal Mm. that you can interpret any way you want right? The discomfort can actually be an asset. So these high performers, they utilize these internal triggers to push them, to propel them towards traction rather than escaping it with distraction. The difference is intent. So what I'm trying to help people do is to do the things they themselves want to do. So if you say, hey, I want to spend 12 hours a day at work. Great. That's fine. (laughs) Nobody should tell you not to. But if you yourself say, yeah, but that's too much because I'm neglecting my family. I'm neglecting my health. I'm neglecting my community. Whatever the case might be, if you feel like you will look back in regret because you did something to escape the discomfort in an, in a maladaptive unhealthy manner, then it's a problem. <laughs> okay? But if you decide in advance, this is how I want to spend my time. If you want to play video games 24 hours a day, hey, I'm not going to tell you not to enjoy you. It's your life. Do whatever is is uh, helps you live the kind of life you want. But if you say, "You know what? I know I'm capable of more." right? I'm not going to the gym because I don't want to. It doesn't feel good. I'm not working on that big project because it's hard. I'm not able to accomplish my goals and live the kind of life I know I'm capable of living because I keep going off track. Well, Indistractable is the book for you because this is exactly the, 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 the struggle that I had uh, and why I wrote the book in the first place.
0: Yes, absolutely, guys. Please check it out. I highly, highly recommend both books. Uh, they're different, but they are related. And this is such a, this is going to be a wonderful addition to your bookshelf. And I think a lot of the concepts, again, in all the content that you're writing, near, is just the, some of that is, a lot of that is really surprising. And it teaches me a way of kind of counterintuitive thinking, like something I've known for a long time, everybody's talking about it. It's almost like, you know, proven to be true. And then you make us kind of uncover something new. Uh, I I really like about that, you know, related to your work. Now, in terms of consistency, and we just talked about what you enjoy doing now, 10 years following your newsletter, it's a really long time. And your, your content has always, you know, felt really mature and really you know really stands out on its own and for people who sure if you follow Seth, and there are people who have written for a very long time but if you look at people who have done really well who are really known for their work uh you're really i mean you're very elite. You're prolific. You're, you know, very much in that tier one. So I want to know, is this something, (laughs) this is really not a compliment. I mean, once people discover your work, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's very tier one. And I know that all the, all the attention and then the, the love that poured into your work. So I have to ask, is this something you've always wanted to do? Have you ever looked back and said, well, uh, you know, I should have spent more time doing something else or, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I really appreciate the the compliments. It's uh, you're really making my day here, but I, I will tell you that um, what I found that when I look at other people, like it's funny that you're giving me this compliment because I, I give this compliment to other people who I think have it all together. And mm-hmm. um, once I get to know them, I realize that we're, we're, we're all struggling, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're all just making it up as we go <laughs> in terms of like, what is our life plan and where we're supposed to go and, um, many times people, uh, they, they, they're in the right time, the right place, and they add to it, uh, consistent forward progress. So that's, um, that's kind of my, one of my life mantras is consistency over intensity that if you think about, okay, let me back up. So I remember when I was in business school, I had a, a, a professor who, uh, who on the first day of class said, what's the number one reason? that a a a company goes out of business what's the number one reason that a company fails people said uh you know lack of customers uh, lack of product market fit uh the Mm -hmm. founder problems uh you know suppliers disruptions all kinds of reasons said wrong 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 the only reason that a company goes out of business is they run out of cash that's it cash is oxygen Mm -hmm. oxygen is life that's it and then when I, if I use that parable and I use it for why we don't accomplish our goals, what's the number one reason we don't accomplish a goal? What's the number one reason? The number one reason we don't accomplish our goal, simply put, is we quit. We quit, okay? Not that it's a bad thing to always quit. Sometimes it's, it's a good idea to stop and do something else. But when you ask objectively, why don't we do what we say we're going to do? It's Because we quit. Why do we quit? The number one reason we quit is because we don't want to. It doesn't feel good. For whatever reason, it doesn't feel like we want to proceed. So once you understand that, once you understand, again, it's back to these internal triggers, that it is just a feeling. It's just a feeling. It's that, I don't wanna go to the gym today. I don't wanna do my, I don't wanna work on that big project. I don't want to be around this person I don't really like, but I have to because of work obligations or family obligations, right? These are just emotions. Once we learn, to regulate those emotions, right? Once we begin to master them, then there's nothing we can't do because not only is time management pain management, weight management is pain management, money management is pain management. Everything is pain management. Mm -hmm. So if you can, as a rule, if there's a big goal you want to accomplish, it's about that consistent effort. Most people don't put in consistent effort. They put in intense effort, right? I'm gonna make a, a New Year's resolution and I'm gonna go to the gym every day and then you know what happens by February, people quit, right? Because it's very intense effort as opposed to consistent effort. So, you know, if you want a, a great relationship with your spouse or a friend, it's not about, oh, I'm going to take you out and wine and dine you for a night. No, it's about consistent effort. It's every day putting in the, that effort to be the best person you can for your partner and, and likewise in return. Uh, if you want to be wealthy, right? If you want to have uh, material success when it comes to business, it's not about, oh, I'm going to you know go to a hackathon and then be rich and IPO in a weekend. No, it's about putting in effort in a very long period of time, suffering through the grind over years and years. And so I think this aversion that we have in society to discomfort is, is really um, counterproductive that I think we need to find that discomfort, but reframe it. And so for me, one of the big breakthroughs that I had uh, through, through this writing career of the past decade or so is reframing difficulty, that it used to be when something was hard, that was bad, okay? Like if something was difficult, it's something I wanted to escape. And then I started to reframe that. Uh, I remember, you know, so I used to get really bad stage fright. Uh, and so that's not the kind of thing you want for a public speaker that makes their living on stage, right? So, um, I but I remember before I would go on stage or before a podcast episode or something, I would get real nervous, and uh, my pits would get sweaty, and my heart would start beating quickly. And the narrative I would tell myself is, "Oh, this feels bad because I'm bad. Maybe I'm a, you know, maybe I'm not really ready for this, or maybe this is above my capabilities, or what am I doing trying to tell people, you know, what what I've learned, you know, what do I know?" I, I would have all this self-doubt, all this negative self-doubt, because I was interpreting my discomfort in a certain way. But that's just an interpretation. So what did I do? I, I did what's called a reframe. So now I still get the same physiological response, right? Just talking to you right now, I, I have sweaty pits and I'm kind of nervous, right? <laughs> I feel that right now, oh, but I reframed it, <laughs> but here's yes. what I did, right? I reframed it. So before I would go on stage and I would feel my heart beating, mm. I stopped with that bad narrative that, that, that told me that that discomfort was bad. And instead said, wait a minute, this is a good thing. That my heart beating quickly means that my brain is getting more oxygen so that I can deliver the best possible talk. When I'm writing and it's hard work and all I want to do is something else, I repeat a mantra that goes like this. This is what it feels like to get better. This is what it feels like to get better. Uh, When I'm in the gym and I'm pushing myself to to to, to beat a personal record or whatever the case might be or on a run, this is what it feels like to get better. So reframing discomfort I think is the secret to – building that kind of consistency that gets results over a long-term uh, for, for a long-term goal
0: mm. So, some, for some reason, uh, lately I've been loving, uh, your, your topic and really it's a realization for many of us, the consistency over intensity. And I think in, and I even love like quantity over quality these days to watch so many uh, content creators out there to dwell on making it perfect. Like, how could you possibly make your first video first anything? perfect. It's impossible. And they never ship it. and it, it's painful for me to watch. And uh, somehow, like I for some reason, I guess we weren't really brought up that way that somehow, I guess mm-hmm. we were taught to be perfectionists or where where did this all stem from? Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I think it, it's. Uh, I think it comes from what's called mimetic desire, which is kind of a hot topic these days. It's kind of become in vogue. So Rene Girard was a Stanford professor who came up with this idea that everything that we want, we want because someone else covets. Uh, and, and and in many ways, that's evolutionarily beneficial, right? It's a shortcut to not have to think through things yourself. Just look what your neighbor does and what they want and. You know, on an evolutionary basis, 200,000 years ago when we lived in, in, in tribes, that was probably not such a bad strategy. There's an evolutionary benefit to that. But in modern society, uh, it's it leads to some very stupid consequences. Right. That when we think of why do we like one brand of luxury car versus the next right luxury cars, if you look at Car and Driver magazine, if you look at the ratings of what are the best, the best cars are never luxury cars right? They're Toyotas and Hondas, <laughs> right? Like, oh, or now Teslas, right? But not, not necessarily the top of the line Tesla either. But yet we covet the brand. Why do we covet the brand? Because other people covet the brand. That's the only reason, right? Why do we, you know, so many things that we think we we should like, we like because someone else likes. That's G- Rene Girard's entire mimetic desire thesis. But of course, if you can pull yourself out of that matrix, if you can ask yourself, what are actually my values? What do I actually like? Uh, it leads to, you have to be pretty courageous to do that, right? To step out of it, right? So I I had this experience with alcohol that I wrote an article a few months ago about this, about how I gave up alcohol for for quite a few years. Now I, I drink very moderately, but I gave it up for a long time by having this test of asking myself, if this experience is not fun without alcohol, then it's probably just not fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was fooling myself by saying, okay, going out and, and doing this thing is really boring without booze. Then what does that say? Like, why am I actually drinking? Like, why do I have to drink to make this experience tolerable? And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of stopped, right? Because when I actually stopped and asked myself, wait, is this, does this taste good? Like, <laughs> do I actually mm-hmm. enjoy this? Or am I just drinking for the sake of, of, of getting out of my head so that I don't have to be so self-conscious and self-aware, well, that's, that's, that's memetic desire at work, right? I was drinking because everybody else was drinking. So I think taking a step back and asking ourselves, what do I really want? What are my values and how can I live my life according to my values, starting with turning your values into time? So if you want to see what someone's values actually are, not what they say, but what they actually are, look at their checkbook, right? Look at how they spend their money and look at how they spend their time. That's how you figure out what someone's values really are. Uh, Mm -hmm. so if you spend a lot of time and money on things that aren't consistent with the kind of person you want to be, it's time to reassess because if you don't, you're going to look back at your life with regret. So looking at those mimetic desires and then realizing, you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings is that, uh, envy is the thief of joy. Envy is a thief of joy. That it's, uh, one of the best things you can do as someone who's creating out there is to not look around, <laughs> right? It's hard. I know it's hard. Uh, I have a lot of very successful friends and it's very hard not to not to uh, envy them. Uh, but I've changed my my mantra. So I have a lot of these daily mantras that I repeat to myself. And one of my daily mantras that I made up for myself, you can make up your own mantra, you can use this if you'd like, is, is this. True happiness is being happy for the success of others. And I repeat that to myself every day. True happiness is being happy for the success of others. And if you can muster the joy to be truly happy for others, that to me is the ultimate happiness. Uh, whether it's happiness in people that you, you hold very close to you, your, 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 your family, but also others, right? Maybe your rival. If you can be happy at the success of a rival, that's true mm-hmm. happiness. Um, so I think by, again, reframing that internal trigger, reframing that, that icky feeling of, Oh, that person's successful. Why can't I have what they have? Like, what are they doing? That's different. That's, that's a, that's not an empowering sensation. That's a kind of internal trigger that when you feel you want to go escape, you want to go, you know, flick through some TikTok videos or something to escape that, that, that sensation. But if you reframe that, that feeling of, okay, I feel that envy. I feel that jealousy. I feel that rivalrous relationship, but true happiness is being happy for the success of others. Now I've reframed it. Now I've used that internal trigger to propel me forward.
0: So this is so fascinating, because again, I'm really not trying to be a fangirl here. And I cannot stand listening to those podcasts. But really, for the longest time, like on my mind, it's like, you know, the Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, Malcolm Gladwell, and near yell. And you know, that's kind of how (laughs) I, I see you in that tier but at the same time I, I can only imagine it's probably a little bit painful too because once you're up there being seen as this prolific you know your speaker on stage in front of hundreds thousands of people uh, it, do you ever look at your own analytics and how do you in you know let it kind of sink in and and to see your success over the years with living with ups and downs
1: so it it's it's, I, I can't say I don't uh, admire others, uh, of course, right? And there's always more, right? I, you know, think of the most famous person you can, you can think of. I guarantee that person is always also thinking about something something that somebody else has accomplished that they haven't accomplished. But what I try and do is, is, is follow yet another one of my mantras, which is follow your curiosity. Mm-hmm. Follow your curiosity. So when it comes to creating stuff, uh, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, whether it's a a, a, a business idea, if you can, f- it, you know that that spark that we have of curiosity is one of the miracles of being a human being. It's one of the most beautiful thing that that awe, that interest, that that drive to to understand is uh, is really a gift, and it needs to be it needs to be um, cultivated and cherished and uh, protected because that's your guiding light, right? Your curiosity. Um, uh, Dorothy Parker said, the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. Meaning if you can stay curious about something, that that becomes the the, the drive. It's not, that now it's no longer envy. Now it's no longer, why can't I be as successful as that other person? Because who cares? That person isn't focused on the question I'm focused on. So that's what's that what that's what always drives me to write. And that's that's kind of my medium, is, is the written word. So as long as I have that curiosity, I'm sure you experience something similar when you talk to a a podcast guest. It's like, I want to understand. I can already sense it from you. You get energy from answering mm-hmm. these questions, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you can keep that in your business, in your personal life, in everything you do. Uh, whether it's you know can, can I am I cap- physically capable to do something if you're trying to to uh, uh, become physically healthier uh, that 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 goes back actually now our conversation is going full circle why is this so powerful why is curiosity such a such an amazing motivator it's back to variable rewards right it's back to this uncertainty of not knowing the answer uh, and that is hardwired into us you know it comes from Skinnerian uh, uh, behaviorism so Skinner was this uh, psychologist in the 1940s and 50s. He took these pigeons, he put them in a little box. Uh, Today, we call this a Skinner box. And he gave them a little disc to peck at. And every time they would peck at the disc, they would get a reward. They would get a little food pellet. But one day, Skinner didn't have enough of these food pellets. So he couldn't afford to give it to the pigeon every time they pecked at the disc. He could only afford to give it to them once in a while. And what Skinner found, to his amazement, is that the rate of response, the number of times the pigeon pecked at the disc increased when the reward was given on a variable schedule of reinforcement, meaning sometimes the pigeon would get the, the reward. Sometimes they wouldn't. So when there's mystery, when there's uncertainty, That causes us to engage and focus and it's highly habit forming. So when you think about what makes for a great book or a great movie, it's about that unknown ending. Nobody wants to read a a, a book or watch a movie where they know what's going to happen. That's no fun. Uh, It's all about that uncertainty. Slot machines, right? Why do people like playing slot machines? It's uncertainty, it's variability. So we can actually use that uncertainty and variability in our own life to propel us and drive us forward. So it's not about, you know, I want what that guy has. That's, that's pointless. That's futile because you'll never have it. What's, what is, a real actual driver is genuine curiosity to discover.
0: Oh, this is so much to unpack here. I'm like calculating all the shorts and you know snippets and short form content I can uh, distill from this. But thank you so much for sharing here. And I, I know I have to respect your time, but I just wanna give it a, a big shout out to whoever's watching now or later. If you are a podcaster, this is a, such a great opportunity. I don't, you're, you're very busy. But for anybody, I'm just going to say, if you have 50 episodes, you're really serious about podcasting, please do reach out to Nir and, you know, to at least invite, you know, invite you on their show. And, uh, you know, that's something if you don't have a show, don't have a podcast, this is just an invaluable you know connection i've had with you today like you mentioned i absolutely enjoy doing this it's such a privilege that i wouldn't otherwise have so um is there anything near that you would like the audience to to take with there's anything we can do for you i always like to ask that question what do you need the most after you've contributed so much content so much of that is free that nurtured us for the past decade what can we do in return for you
1: well, I really appreciate that's kind of you to, to ask uh, for, for me. You know, check out my stuff if you haven't already. I blog at nearandfar.com. That's N I R and far.com. Uh, my two books, Hooked How to Build Habit Forming Products, if that's of interest, and Indistractable How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life.
0: Oh. This is fantastic. Thank you so much, everyone who are are watching us live. Thank you so much for the great content. People had to drop off earlier, but please do watch the whole thing on YouTube if you can share it with your friends and colleagues. And with that said, I'm going to end the live stream and I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks so much. (laughs)